Hello, welcome back to another edition of the Fundraisers Podcast, where we bring you the voice, the wisdom from all the best fundraisers from around the world. And guess who I've got on the show today? I've got Menka Sajnani. How are you doing, Menka? I'm doing I'm Good. doing great. I just I actually just had my first experience with COVID. Yeah, I was gonna say, look, I caught up with you, what was it, like two months ago and asked you to come on the show after Mike Lids <laughs> yes. came, right? And Mike was like, you have to get Menka. And I was like, okay, let's go let's go and talk to Menka, right? And then you were moving house, changing jobs. Exactly. What's I happened? mean, yeah. a lot lot has been going on personally, but the latest was was COVID and the whole family got it. So that included on everybody? My, yeah, my mom who's nearly seventy. I think the baby had it too, but she she only had it for like a day and the rest oh. of us were dying. Oh, no. But anyway, it was our first time. So <laughs> I think a lot of people have had it for the second or third yeah, time. I was a so bit surprised when you told me. Like, yeah. So we've escaped it just so it. far, but I think this happened to the whole of Singapore and the industry. <laughs> Whoever went to the super returns and subsequently milked got COVID. Like a lot of people got COVID. So... But anyway, now I feel like Superwoman because I feel like I'm immune to everything and I'm walking around without my mask and I'm like, this is done. And yeah, I'm yeah that's amazing. On. So like I yeah. got it like nine months ago, so I'm probably due to get one anytime. <laughs> so <laughs> let's, hope it, let's hope it doesn't come soon. But anyway, so look, I woke up this morning. I was like, right, Menka's coming on the show and I have to figure out something to start the or break the ice with. So... I thought, let me, let me Google her. And I Googled and I came across this article that you wrote like oh in 2020 <laughs> about the last dance or something it's called, right? Yeah. And yeah. I was like, wow, there was that one line in there where you said something about your father. And he said something like, oh, if you're successful at that one time, then you're only successful for that one time yeah. and you can't repeat it. I thought it was a really well-written piece, man. Oh, Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So what was that? Like, tell me about that. I was watching the show with my husband. It was one of those Netflix yeah. Netflix evenings. And I, I just, I was just obsessed. I mean, just, uh, you've seen it? Have you seen it? I don't follow NBA, but I, um, but I obviously like Michael Jordan. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm yes. obviously quite a big fan. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, just it just had such a huge, huge impact on me. And I think, you know, some of the stuff resonated, right? That part that, you know, you wrote where it's about teamwork and like, like your camaraderie and then you come together yeah. and you got to you got to work together, right? Like, so when he started passing the ball around, yeah. then he started scoring loads of goals. Exactly. Right? That was the thing. That was the thing. And, yeah. and you know, I think the part that you mentioned earlier that success is, you know, a one-time thing. You have to continually yes. improve yourself. I think that's the motto that I live by and I yeah, want yeah, to live yeah, yeah. by because I do think that being successful in, in one fundraise doesn't mean you're going to be successful <laughs> in the next. It's, it's always really, really hard and yeah. people in the fundraising business will know this. And yeah. so I think it's it's important to stay humble and and obviously continually work on yourself and your art. It's it's a certainly a feast and famine roller coaster the fundraising world right and you've seen your fair share of that right I mean yes. it's really difficult um, I really admire when I meet a good fundraiser and they've got all these success stories but also war stories right yeah. um, and but I also find that when every time I meet a, fun, a good fundraiser I also know that there were early stories in their early life mm. that kind of shaped who they are today yeah. right for example like it sounds like you know you come from a uh, but when we met for coffee, you know, obviously you come from a very business-minded family, right? Um, so that must have changed you for this, right? Uh, for some others who probably didn't, who just probably just 
don't have that background probably. Does that give you the edge, do you feel? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think two things, right? I think one is, as you correctly pointed out, I come from a business community, if you will, and it's it's known as what, what we, you know, it's referred to as the Sindhi community. Yes. And, you know, Sindhis are an interesting people. You know, we were, <laughs> we were exiled from India during partition, so we okay. kind of had to leave everything behind and restart and kind of build something from nothing. So you'll find us everywhere. You'll find the community, you'll find us in Curacao, you'll find us in Peru, you'll find us in Hong Kong, Singapore, with all over the world. And you know, we're known to be very successful at, at building businesses. And they often joke about it, you'll never find a poor Cindy. It's a very flamboyant community. We love money. Yeah. Uh, we enjoy making money. We enjoy the grit, the hustle of you know starting something new. And I might be the only amongst one of you know most of my friends at home in Hong Kong that's not an entrepreneur yet. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, if, even when I meet a housewife, like my friend who's a housewife, she'll have like six side hustles, right? right. She'll be distributing. She'll have a wine distribution business right. on the side, and I'm like, you know, this just, it's just how we are wired in the DNA, and I think it's that that grit, that hustle that love for money, yes. <laughs> that enjoyment uh, for being around money, uh, I guess is probably what attracted me to a fundraising career right. and, and uh, you know, shaped that in some way. And, and secondly, and I, th I think it's about having been a former LP for so long. I, I right. started my journey in the business 15 years ago and the first seven years, you know, when I was 24, suddenly I found myself in the LP world making decisions around which GPs to commit capital to. It was very humbling because at 24, you have really smart, you know, you have really smart people walk into your office and say, would you like to invest in my fund? It's, it, it really, yeah, I, right. I, I'm really grateful and fortunate to have had that experience. But I think having that LP DNA, understanding what resonates with an LP. When I sit across the table from an LP, I feel like I'm talking to someone of my own kind, like my own right. brethren, because I've been there. I, yeah. I know what they go through when they're thinking through, can I take this fund across my investment committee? How am I yeah. going to convince them? How am I going to convince my IC members to invest in a Southeast Asia fund? I think that definitely gave me an edge as well. Amazing. Yeah. So you started your career Sort of, it was it merger group, was it? Uh, it was. It's a group called Merger Market. Merger Market. That's yes, it. Sorry. It was acquired by Financial Times yes. and then part of Pearson and yeah, I think it's, it was private equity backed. Uh, you know, financial intelligence company. Yeah. And then how did you make that move into HQ Capital, which is like more private equity fund to fund LP, right? Because uh, being a recruiter, I I know that when LPs or fund to funds look for an associate they will yeah. say hey let's go get this guy from investment banking or we'll go yeah. you know to a consulting firm perhaps or, or whatever but then you know that was how did you pull that off that's that's very <laughs> yeah that's a that's a good question and it brings back a lot of memories i um i think i think being you know i went to a liberal arts school in the u.s and the one thing that i learned was it was multidisciplinary right i had yeah. to study everything from calculus to economics to aristotle to but my, my major was communication so i think i was a very good writer so um i saw a newspaper cutting for a role very old school uh, an associate role to focus on india and southeast asia uh, in the, the South China Morning Post in Hong Kong, and I thought, what is this fund of funds, private equity? Sounds yeah. cool. So I read up about it, and I wrote a really great cover letter about how I'm Indian. I grew up in Hong Kong, 
And, you know, I, I believe in the India growth story. And, you know, I would love to kind of learn about investing in, in, in India. And, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity, blah, blah, blah. And so interestingly enough, my, my boss uh, ended up hiring me, called me for the interview. And uh, I remember he told me to go home and said, you're not a good fit because, you know, I didn't have the background. Right, yes. And so you should go consider going and, you know, doing an MBA. And then, um, you know, I love him to bits. He's still my mentor today. So anyway, uh, three months later, I heard from him again. And his, his assistant called up and said, would you be available to meet him for a coffee? And I said, sure. And I went in my jeans, <laughs> you know, in my, in my casual attire thinking it's just a coffee, right? Like, right. I didn't know he's going to be, you know, interviewing me again or offering me a role. But he offered me a role. Wow. And he said, you know, I interviewed about 40 people. Uh, I think you have great communication skills. I think I can mold you. I think you can learn. Um, so he took a punt on me. Yeah. Uh, but what I found out later is that the person he wanted to hire was way above his budget. <laughs> and he didn't have a very high budget. So he was like, let me hire someone young and, you know, uh, well-meaning, somebody who really is hungry and wants to learn. That classic chestnut. And eh? see where it goes. <laughs> yeah. and, and I ended up being there for seven years. Amazing, yeah. Well, you you did a uh, a fantastic job there. It was like a few years, right? Six, yeah, seven years. What yeah, did yeah, almost seven years. And uh, I was, a, you know, I was on a great career track. Got promoted a bunch of times. Had, had a great life. I mean, the LP life is it's 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 a great life. It's busy. Yeah. Uh, Tell me about the LP life. What was it like? Uh, I mean, I think to be mixing and interacting with. The best brains of the world on a daily basis it was probably the biggest privilege I've ever had. And so that was one of the reasons when I kind of made that career transition. I made a career transition in 2014. I yeah. decided to quit and, and move to the tech world and I joined Google in a sales role. Yeah. I, I missed the investment fraternity because I was like, and Google's full of smart people. Yes, so, yes, yes. But I still missed the investment fraternity because I'm like, I was part of something very special. Uh, because, you know, we're building economies, we're yeah. building sectors, we're creating jobs, and we were doing something really fundamental. So I wanted to come back, and, and that's when, you know, I thought about what I wanted to do, and I, I figured I didn't want to be on the LP side because I did feel like, in some sense, I was, I was one or two steps removed from the action, but being on the GP side would be kind of cool. So then I thought, why don't I do a role which allows me to tap into my network yeah. and, and, you know, the understanding of sort of the institutional investor. And so I thought maybe a fundraising role would be would be interesting. And uh, and again, you know, to my uh, thanks, thanks to my, to my I guess my wonderful luck. Amit uh, from Jungle took a punt on me and he said, you know, you've never done fundraising before, but you have a background and, you know, we're institutionalizing the firm. Uh, you understand LPs. Uh, you know, why don't you come on board and we'll try this out. And, and that journey lasted uh, four years. And it, it was my the beginning of my fundraising career. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So some of the key takeaways, let's say if you look at your, your LP life, right, and then your GP life, right, what would you think would be the key takeaways that you've picked up along the way on those two Two very different career journeys, right? If somebody else is, wants to get into it or wants to build a career in the LP world or is doing a role similar to yours, like the one that you had at HQ Capital, um, what are the key takeaways that somebody could, that you could pass on to somebody say, hey, do this, but don't do this. But this, okay. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? And then, uh, you know, what would you say 
Any any good takeaways? You know, um, maybe it might be more interesting. Not that I don't want to answer the LP question, but would it be more? Would it be interesting if I answer sort of the fundraising career? Yeah, because to you, yes. So, and personally, yeah. you know, I feel very passionate about it. I absolutely love what I do. I, I think you can tell in the conversations yeah, yeah, we've yeah. had. I think it's as a career. You know, it's it's really exciting. Everybody wants to get into the investment space. And I think you can't build a fund if you don't know how to fundraise. So it's, it's an equally important skill, yeah, yeah. not more, to yeah. cultivate. Um, so when I, whenever I talk to kids who are like, I want to get into private equity and venture, I'm like, you should consider fundraising yeah. or investor relations. Um, it's a growing space. There are very few good IR and fundraising professionals in Asia. Fund management is is growing like no one's business. There's lots of opportunity. Uh, that's number one. Uh, but you know you need to be thick-skinned. Yeah. I think, I think at some level, you know, it takes time. Yeah. It takes time to build and convert relationships. And I think you need to be thick-skinned, and it, it you know makes you strong definitely. You know, I think in terms of key takeaways, when I look back at my seven-year career in fundraising and we have, we have raised a lot, I haven't taken any break uh, until now, is I'm in some sense the antithesis to what people believe would be a classic fundraiser because I don't believe in going to every conference in the world. I don't believe in collecting a thousand business cards every year and like networking and knowing everybody and going yeah. to every party and every cocktail. I, I think that's, a, for me, it wouldn't work as a fundraising strategy. I mean. I believe in deep relationships. I believe in quality versus quantity. And that formula has always worked for me. You know, any fundraise that I've done, I've contacted or, or engaged with no more than 50, 60 LPs. And, and that's worked for me. So I, I genuinely believe in, in fostering, you know, deep relationships, understanding the people that you want to build a relationship with and figuring out where the gaps are and just just staying focused. I guess also partly because of my personality. I'm all in or nothing person. So I, I can't have too much going on, too yeah. many events. <laughs> yeah, I need to put my head down and focus on what I already have and, right. and, and deepen that. So I um, I think that's a key learning. Um, the second one would be probably around follow-up. Everyone talks about the science of the follow-up, but I do think that it's it's following up, but it's also how you follow up with the LP, right, yeah. how you follow up with the prospect. You will know this, yes, you know, course, in, in yes. your business. It's it's how you engage, what information you provide, how you handle objections. Yeah. All of that is a, is an art and a science. So I think the how and mastering the how is still something I'm, I'm learning to do wow. and, and growing yeah. Hey, so that's really interesting. Look, in, in sales, at least in my world, we, we have the seven steps, right? Yeah. So similar to what you said, so you make sure you're talking to the right person, which I guess in your world would be like, make sure you're talking to the right LP, mm. right? Somebody who's going to willing to invest, mm. right? Then you got to build rapport. I think that goes back to your relationship point, mm. which is step two. Step three goes into um, sort of... Um, you know, qualifying mm -hmm. what, 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 what the person actually wants. And then mm -hmm. um, step four is the presentation. Step five is the handling objection part. Step six is close. And seven is get a referral. <laughs> so so we follow this. And, and I think most salespeople can, uh, can, can articulate some, something similar to that for their process. Well, you've just articulated your sales process in a very summarized way, right? So, but very interesting, you just said like, you know, your formula is inch, wide mile deep right mm. that's it 
Mm. And and that served you well, hasn't it? Like, yeah. So it I mean, and you've done very well with that. Yes. Right. Yes, and I, you know, I stand by it. I live by it. So, what would be the like? How would you, if you were sitting in front of a, co- a coffee <laughs> table or dinner, right, with somebody who was the opposite to you and had immense success in it? That would be an interesting conversation, right? Because yeah, I'm sure there's both both things you can work. Exactly. I would love to learn from that person. <laughs> how do you do it? You know, how do you do it? Because I've seen that they're going to come back with the Rolodex, and then they're like, you "Oh, I've got. I know everybody globally, yeah, but like, is it not? Party, is it possible? Like, event. based on your." Uh, your 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 experience is it actually possible to have a very successful fundraising career by saying that you're a global fundraiser is that just almost impossible given the fact that what you just said you have to build good relationships with these people right Mm. and how are you going to do it when there's like thousands and thousands of lps all over the world yeah. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, that's an interesting one. You know, at Jungle, I had a more of a global role. Uh, oh, really? I was, yeah, uh, I, was, I was looking at the U.S. and, and Europe and, and Asia, uh, whereas in B Capital, it was much more uh, focused on, and it was pretty much Asia and the Middle East. I helped um, selectively with, with some clients in, in, in the U.S. and in Europe, but... Um, Wow, I mean, I, you know, I think looking back, I think I was I was very fortunate that when I joined Jungle, we were pretty much done raising our second fund, and we were going to launch the third fund only a year and a half, two years later. So I had plenty of time mm. to build that pipeline. And then, you know, first what we did was classic, right? You go broad, you talk to everybody. Yeah. And then, you know, one year down the line, you, you build the funnel. Then you're like, okay, who are the warm guys? Who are the guys that are actually gonna, you know, and it was still early for Southeast yeah. Asia. You know, back in the day when we were raising Jungle Fund 3, it was still, we still had to convert people to, to believe us. Uh, we were still selling Southeast Asia. I think today people have bought into Southeast Asia a lot more and have to be convinced about the GP. I think back in the day, there was still a lot of education and converting people. So it's a process, and uh, I, I don't know how to answer your question. No, no, it's That's just very possible. But, yeah, uh, nice. you know, the approach that I took was definitely, I mean, as you said very correctly, a, a lot of, I mean, referrals was was how I, how I went about it. I think really? that's the most powerful way, uh, personally, that you know I've, I've got credibility and, and been able to win win over clients, yeah. Well, what about like, if I asked you another question and said, okay, when you, when you first got into fundraising, obviously you came out from the LP side and you went into jungle, right? Yeah. And then obviously you have never done that role. You've always been on the opposite side of the table. Now you're having to do it, right? Were there any things like that, you know, sort of like, mistakes that you were making early on that you wish yeah. like, oh you know i could really go back and actually like if there's another junior person in the in the market who's hitting the pavements right yeah, now yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't make these mistakes i've done been there done that doesn't work yeah have you got any advice there for anyone yeah i mean you know now looking back uh, you know i've got seven years worth of data and you know experience to look back at i would say that it would be product development is getting your, you know, one is knowing the LP, but the other is, you know, knowing yourself and being able to articulate your narrative. And that's product development to me. It's like, who are you? What is your strategy? Is it clear? Is it aligned to what you've done with the past? Is it consistent? You know, how do you demonstrate yeah. that, you know, yeah. in a pitch? And so I think I would personally, if I, let's say I go and set up my own fund, I would probably talk to a few close LPs and, and 
and kind of share my vision and share my strategy. Right, right. And then take the feedback. And that doesn't mean, if, you know, I'm going to go and change my strategy because LP doesn't think it's going to sell or they yeah, never yeah, invest. Yeah. But maybe that means I re-articulate it or I, I kind of reposition it right. or I you know, tweak it. And so I think that product development phase before you go out to market is absolutely critical. Before you go and build that final version of the deck, the final version of the data room, you know, there's lots of things that you need to be, you know, prepared uh, to answer and, and be very clear about and, and make sure that, you know, your audience will, will resonate. And I think that that homework is, 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 is something that, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting better and better at doing um, uh, as I go, you know, as a professional, I guess. Interesting. Yeah. Like, yeah, like I like that analogy. Wow, I like it. Product development. Yeah, it is you product development. That, that, is, product that development. is basically what sales is about, and that's how you manage the whole thing, is to make sure it's not a product, but you're, it's what comes out of your mouth, yes. right? So you've got to make sure that it's it's what your it, it makes sense, and it's what clients actually want, right, yes. as well. And yes. so um, really cleverly put. So, Mink, I want to double-click on that. So, yeah, how has your approach to LPs changed over time? No, I don't know if it's changed per se, but I, I think it's been refined over time. And, you know, I think fundraising is a balance between art and science. Yes. Um, I've been, you know, and I think I've mentioned this, you know, I, I've been extremely fortunate in my life in general. But, you know, just, just being in this, this industry and, you know, worked with incredible people. Uh, you know, I worked with, as I mentioned earlier, I worked with Amit from Jungle and then, you know, Raj from, from B Capital, you know, side by side. And learned a lot from them. And, you know, stylistically very different, but both absolutely incredible at what they do. So I think over time, as I kind of refine how I do what I do, I'd say, you know, at some point I was really good at the art, but not very good at the process. Yes. You know, yes. it's all about the narrative, the storytelling, and, <laughs> you know, all of that, and, and the relationship. And then, you know, over time, I had to train myself to, yeah. to learn about process, like having the perfectly looking pitch deck with the perfect fonts yeah. and, uh, you know, having a, 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 the sales process that we just talked about earlier and, 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 and getting better at that process as yeah. well. Um, so I think it's, um, it's been refined over time and I'm, I'm very lucky and fortunate to have worked with, with two individuals that, that I learned a lot from. Okay, so since we're talking about pitches, right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who do you think was the <laughs> most memorable, memorable pitch you've ever, ever like, been involved in as an LP? Like, so you've got a GP that comes to you and you're just like, wow, that was really solid. Gosh, that's so hard because, you know, I've probably screened at least in my seven-year career easily three to 400, if not more, uh, fund wow. managers, right? Because, you know, Private equity began to take off really in 2007, 2008, and since then, you know, the number of new GPs coming to market just keeps keeps growing. So, <sighs> wow, so many good ones. <laughs> um, okay, I would personally say that my favorite investor, investor that I think very highly of, happened probably was also the best at, you know, articulating his strategy, and you know, was was pretty inspiring, at least to me, is a gentleman by the name of Ashish Dhawan from Chris Capital. Oh, okay. Uh, yes. It's one of the most well-known private equity funds in India. 
he did very well for himself. Right. We invested in probably every single one of his funds. They're well known because, you know, they returned capital back to LPs, and, you know, which which is not very common in India. Right. Uh, but what, uh, wasn't uh, at least in, in the private equity space at the time. So great track record, strong track record, very authentic style. And I think today, if, if I remember correctly, he runs an education foundation. He retired in his 40s and wow. gave it to his partners and now is, is doing good for the world. So just <laughs> truly a great human being. Yeah, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, because I guess he was, al- what he said and what he did was aligned, that's probably what worked for me and that's probably what checked the boxes for me. Well, was anything like how he delivered it? Was it just like a just always amazing talker, or was it just the way the whole thing was packaged? Was product development was yes, amazing, yes. right? I think the packaging was was definitely very good. It was very good, uh, very polished, very very structured, very clear. Another thing that I wanted to ask you is like you must have been on a lot of AGMs as well, right? How are they? Like, have you got any cool stories that you can remember? Yeah. Any most memorable AGM that you've been on? I, I, I won't take names, but, the, you know, there was an AGM that I went to and you know, it'll always stick with me because it was, it was, you know, the best, probably week, one of the best weeks of my life. And uh, we basically had the opportunity to go to private party, you know, parties with, with you know, famous cricket players like Sachin Tendulkar and like, had this GP arranged for us to hang out with King Khan, who was Mr. Shahrukh Khan himself. And it was just crazy. You it met was Shahrukh unreal. Khan? I was like, I can't believe I met an EGM. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. I mean, it didn't happen all the time. Yeah, okay. Uh, but, you know, when it did, you're like, wow, I sit in a really privileged position. I'm really lucky to be to be where I am. Were they like LPs in the fund or they just they were just there as a, as directors? I or? think they were there because they were friends of the students. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, that's not why we invested, I yeah, guess, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we uh, we had invested a lot before that, but it was it was a nice surprise. All right. So I wanted to ask you next, uh, would you ever go back to the LP side? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good question. Um, I, I absolutely love what I do, so I, I I don't see myself making that change. It's very, very unlikely. Really? Uh, yeah, probably I enjoy pain. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy pain. I like being in the in the fundraising world. It's it's tough and it beats you up at times, but yeah, I, I truly enjoy what I do. Menka, how do you stay so humble? You're, you're obviously very successful, right? You've uh, you've done a lot, you know, and uh, obviously most salespeople, when they've reached this kind of level of success, they, you know, they, they you know, they can boast a bit, but you haven't really demonstrated any sign of that. You've been very sort of down to earth, and so how do you do that? First of all, it's very, very nice of you to say <laughs> that. Um, I I I don't think I've reached anywhere. I have so much <laughs> more to do. That's what I always tell myself. Yeah. That's probably what keeps me in check. Yeah, I I, I have so much. I have so much to do. (laughs) Okay, so everybody has insecurities. I'm sure you have some. I've got my own, and you know you've got yours. And I think it would be lovely to hear uh, at least to make this sound more normal. (laughs) (laughs) So, what are some of your insecurities or or fears that you 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 sort of battling away with? 
you know, I, I just hit my 40s, so I, you know, there's always like, oh, what, what are my next 10, 15 years going to look like? You know, how is my professional journey going to pan out? What am I going to do that's going to, you know, take it to the next level for me, for my family? Am mm. I going to have autonomy? Am I going to lo- continue to love what I do? I mean, all these questions, right? That anxiety around the next uh, 10, 15 years, I also just became a mom. So, you know, there's, there's that thing about balancing family mm. and, and obviously your professional life. So definitely some some anxiety and insecurity there. Yeah. And obviously you're Cindy and the family full of business people. <laughs> <laughs> They're probably expecting you to set up your own business. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Uh, I'm still kind of figuring out. So Yeah, still, still on the journey, right? I mean, so every salesperson or every fundraiser has to stay focused. Right. Do you have any sort of advice around that? I mean, how do you do it? Whether it's at work or in personal life, like how do you stay focused and in your lane? I know I've said this throughout the throughout the session, but I think it's it's similar to you. If you love what you do, it just naturally. Yeah. You're so zoned into it. You're just like so into it. So that allows me to have the focus because I think if I kind of liked what I did, I wouldn't be focused. I wouldn't be able to focus. I wouldn't have the drive. I totally agree with you, man. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm exactly the same. Like, yeah. you know, when you do what you find, like, almost like, it's like your purpose, right? It's like your, your, your icky guy, as they say, right? Like, this is the thing that you really enjoy. Then it doesn't look like you're actually working, even if you're doing OT or whatever. Like, you're just, yeah. just doing, just having, just doing your job, right? Yeah. And, uh, and I think, that's something that, that I think you got to love. So I think pe- some people walk into the fundraising world, they, they've sort of gone into investments, they fall into fundraising, and they don't actually really enjoy it. Yeah. Most of them, they, they want to go back into investments. Yeah. And, that, and I always found that there's a marzipan layer, or like, you know, this really thin group of people that actually really enjoy it. <laughs> you know, like you said, they enjoy the pain, right? And uh, pain is good, right? <laughs> as they say. And, and I think they really enjoy the way that whole process works and that, you know, and, and, and getting those LPs over the line. Well, um, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, look, you know, it's been really, really a pleasure to have you here. Is there any question I should have asked that I could have asked that I didn't uh, oh, I that think... you would like to answer <laughs> as we uh, go? No, I think you covered all grounds. I'm, I'm actually... I'm, I'm, I'm actually happy and grateful that you selected me. Well, it was everybody saying interview Mecca. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're like, very nice. Thank you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, uh, you've you're, you got a really good reputation. And so I think because a lot of people speak very highly of you. Uh, a lot of people that I know that have brought your name up. So um, absolute pleasure to have you on absolute the show. Absolute I'm sure there's a lot of other questions we could have asked, but I think, you know, we can do that for part two, right? (laughs) Uh, So uh, thank you very much, Menka, for coming down. And uh, listen, if anybody wants to reach out to you, are you okay for them to reach out to you? We leave your... um, your, your name, email address or something Absolutely. at the bottom I would for love them that. to do that. And also the the, the, the amazing fundraiser, uh, the, the, the amazing fund manager from Chris Capital, right? <laughs> I mean, you could put down the link there so if anybody wants to look and, and, and research on yeah, yeah, research on on that particular GP and, and Ashish, right? Um, Ashish, yeah. the, the, the founder. And if you want to learn a little bit more about how uh, fundraising is done and you want to ask you know, the lady herself, she's always available, as are all our other guests that have been on the show. Um, if, if you need to be in contact with any of them, please get in touch with us. Thank you very much. 
This is Ayaz Ahmad, your host for the Fundraisers Podcast, over and out.